Hey, it's Callie, and you're listening to the 46th episode of the Hippie Haven podcast. If you're new here, I release an episode every Wednesday related to living an ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle. I want to meet you where you're at, so we cover all sorts of topics, like how to make less trash, composting, urban beekeeping, secondhand shopping, starting an eco-business, and much more. My goal is to inspire you to take action, both in your day-to-day routine and on a larger scale of community activism, because I do believe that together we can make a difference. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so that you automatically get each new episode right when it comes out. Today's guest is Matt, known on Instagram as at an urban harvester, where he fights food waste by living off of food he rescues daily from his local supermarket dumpsters. In this episode, he shares more about why and how he dumpster dives, the safety of dumpster diving, why grocery stores are throwing out still edible food, and what we as individuals can do to fight industrial food waste beyond dumpster diving. If you've ever dumpster dived or you're inspired to after listening to this podcast episode, please share a picture of what you rescued on Instagram and tag me so I can see I'm at a hippie in a van. If you are curious about the legalities of dumpster diving, please be sure to do your own research as the legal status does vary around the world. I, of course, am not a lawyer. Nothing I or any guest says can or should be taken as legal advice. But if you're in the U.S., I recommend starting your research with the 1988 Supreme Court case, California versus Greenwood. As always, you can find the show notes and transcript for this episode on my website. That's hippiehavenpodcast.com forward slash 046. For my listeners in or near Madison, Wisconsin, I will be speaking about how to reduce your trash and your impact on the planet at the Madison Vegan Fest on August 3rd. It is a free event with tons of yummy vegan food to try. You don't have to be vegan to attend, of course. So I hope to see you there. I'll also be doing multiple zero-waste workshops in Southern California throughout the month of August, so if you're in that area, check out the Bestowed Essentials event page on Facebook for more details. Now for today's episode. Tell me about the first time that you ever went dumpster diving and why you decided to do it. So the way I came across dumpster diving was when I joined this adventure in the USA in 2000. In 2017, I joined the environmental activist Rob Greenfield and 30 other people uh, in New York City. And we were cycling from New York City across to Washington State in Seattle. Uh, Seattle. And um, so it was all about kind of, you know, environmental uh, things and, and sustainability. And we, on the first day, once we rolled out of Manhattan, we very quickly got into New Jersey and I was concerned about money. And so I asked Rob, because uh, I was cycling with, with Rob and, and his partner Cheryl at the time, um, I asked Rob, you know, what are the odds of, of being able to dumpster dive uh, in the USA? Because I know, I, I know in Europe it's, it's pretty big, even though I hadn't done it myself at the time, but what about the USA? And he just looked at me as if as if I was stupid. He said, "What? Are you for real?" And so we got to the to the nearest CVS, and we just went by the back, and we just he opened the dumpster, and there it was. I just couldn't believe my eyes. It was 
a massive dumpster full of good food. I think that time, if I remember correctly, we came out with three kilos of almonds, about 10 orange juices. I mean, everything you can think of, you can find in the dumpster. And so, and so we brought so much food uh, on our bicycles to, to camp uh, on that first night in New Jersey. And that was my real eye-opener into dumpster diving and the catastrophic issue of food waste across the Western world. So tell me why you've decided to continue dumpster diving and how it turned into your online activism project and Urban Harvester on Instagram. Okay, so... We have to take one step back. So once I came back from the USA on from this cycling trip, uh, I was midway through a master's degree uh, about climate change. So after crossing the USA and, and seeing the US food system, I thought, you know what? I want to learn more about the food system. What's the situation globally? And what is it going to look like in the future? So I spent 10 months reading all sorts of academic articles, United Nations reports about the history of food, where we are today, and what we expect to, where we expect to go in the future. And the statistic that really blew my mind was when I read that between a third and half of all the food produced on this planet is wasted. Um, so, so during that master's, you know, I was dumpster diving here and there, saving a bit of money. And then I finished and I thought, you know what, you know, there are some serious ecological issues that we, we face as a global society. How can I use my energy and time to try and put the spotlight on this tremendous is issue of food waste? And so I just thought, you know what, Instagram is pretty in right now. I'm going to start dumpster diving from my three local supermarket dumpsters, places where I used to shop. Um, take a photograph and just share it with the world and see if it gains traction. And, you know, I would do it religiously. So I'd do it once during the day, in the afternoon generally, and once in the evening, once the stores are closed. And what I discovered was amazing, but also kind of like a dystopian, dystopian nightmare. Every day, only in three supermarket dumpsters. I mean, bear in mind where I live, you've probably got 1,500 supermarkets. In the USA, you've got 37,000 supermarkets. Anyway, every day in those three supermarkets, I was coming back with so much food. And I was only bringing back food that I could actually use, which, which to me is completely mind-blowing. I mean, what you see on my photographs on, on, on the An Urban Harvester Instagram account is only the tip of the iceberg. And so you're actually eating the food that you're collecting from the dumpsters. How much money have you saved off of your grocery budget from dumpster diving? Yes. Um, now, the thing is, is where, where I live, uh, people really buy a lot of organically produced products. Um, and that's pretty lucky. The thing with organic products too is that they generally go off a little quicker than conventionally produced crops. And what that means is that, you know, supermarkets can't sell everything. And so what happens is that a huge amount of, of those organic crops end up in the dumpster. So I am literally eating 
99% of organic fruit and vegetables from the dumpster. And the thing is, is that, I, you know, I'm not a particularly money driven person, but money is very useful. And at the end of the day, most people go to work for money. So I thought, you know what, to make this project kind of globally interesting, I'm up for every harvest, I'm going to estimate using supermarket, uh, local supermarket prices, how much this harvest is worth. So that, you know, after every week and after every month and at the, the end of a whole year, we can estimate how much I've kind of saved. Now, of course, that argument only holds if I use all those resources, which generally I do. Um, anyway, I think in April I did a tally up of how much I'd saved and it was astounding. It was 3200 US dollars. Uh, so if you add another couple of months, you know, I've had some pretty big harvests since then, you know, I must be getting close to $5,000 uh, worth of food. And the thing is, is that these resources, you know, for example, I found candles, I found ca enough candles for the next two years. Um, so these resources aren't for the here and now, you know, I've got I've got resources for, for many months coming up. But yeah, yeah so it's a, it's a lot of money. Uh, and the other thing I would, I would I'd like to to introduce here is that there is outrageous food waste, and and but the thing is, is that sometimes you come across dumpsters where I'm coming across so much of one particular product. So I thought I'd call these the bonus horns. Um, now they come up probably three or four times a month, and this is when I bring a mass batch back home. Uh, where I take a photo and I don't add these to my you know, daily harvest because I just don't use these. Uh, so, for example, I think the most famous one so far I've had was when I came back with 157 packets of bacon just dumped. And that's about, I think, 36 pounds of bacon. Uh, so, I mean, it's pretty mind blowing and, and uh, it's worth bearing in mind, you know, I'm not an NGO where I've got, I'm working with other people. I'm just alone. So I'm just trying to do what I can as, as a single individual. So, I mean, I really want to reiterate to all your listeners is that this is only the tip of the iceberg. I try and share some photographs live from the dumpster, although I do have to be careful because, of course, if employees catch me, uh, you know, understandably, they might get a bit suspicious as to as to what I'm doing, which is why I try and keep my identity uh, anonymous because it's a sensitive issue. Most countries in Europe and, you know, many stores in the USA lock their dumpsters or, you know, spray some chemicals perhaps to, to try and warn off dumpster divers. So I have to be a bit careful because it's kind of a blessing in disguise that, um, that I have access to these dumpsters because because this is a global phenomenon. If you look hard enough on Instagram, you know, there's dumpster diving accounts across the globe. Now, you're finding way more than you could possibly consume by yourself. What do you do with this extra? Do you leave it in the dumpster? Do you donate it to a local food bank? Are you working with any organizations in your area? So the thing is, is that unfortunately... I don't have time or the resources to donate a lot of this food onto different organizations. And it's worth, it's worth uh, stating that there's actually many organizations in the country I live in and, and across many other countries uh, that try and, and, and get some donated food from supermarkets to try and feed uh, homeless people or people who are struggling. So, so those organizations are there and they're extremely important and they carry out important work. Unfortunately, 
myself, I don't have the time to to bring this food. I can't drive. So, you know, I'm only on foot or using a bicycle. So I just, I, I haven't got the energy at the time or the resources to bring this food to different organizations. So unfortunately, the, the bonus halls, for example, regrettably, they do end up in my own communal dumpsters, which is a shame. But, you know, when you think about the fact that between a third and half of all food produced on this planet goes to waste, I think it's worth keeping in mind the bigger picture uh, you know, one small bag, bad act, uh, you know, might go a long way to, to try and remedy this this global situation. Wow. Now, I didn't realize that you didn't have a car and, and good for you because that's a really great thing to do for the environment. But I'm astonished. You know, you were just talking about having 36 pounds of bacon. And I can't believe that you're able to carry all that, you know, on foot or on bicycle. Um, that really just makes what you do all the more incredible. The fact that you're carrying these huge hauls every single day without even having a car. Oh, thank, well, thanks for that. I mean, the thing is, in, in Europe, we're lucky. I mean, one of the things I learned in the U.S. when I, when I was traveling in the USA is that is that U, the USA as a country is is designed very differently. I mean, yes. It, it, I mean, basically, that the automobile reigns. Whereas in Europe, I mean, I think the cities themselves are, are much older. Uh, and you know, back in the day, you had horses, and and so they're much more densely packed. And so, yeah, actually, my supermarkets. My supermarkets are very, very close to, to where I live. So, I mean, I'm not literally cycling, you know, 20 miles down down the road to my main supermarket and, and collecting. It's much shorter distances. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, carry, I carry everything by on foot or by bicycle. And uh, I've kind of, yeah, I've rigged up my bicycle to, to make sure it can hold a lot of weight. But, uh, but, yeah, it is hard work. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I think... This issue is so big, it's, it's no problem at all. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, I can't complain. I eat, you know, generally for free. So, uh, so that's just the way it is. Which is great. Now, let's talk about that. What is the equipment that you need or recommend to make dumpster diving easier for somebody who wants to do it? So, I think with dumpster diving, um, my advice is to go once the stores have closed. Just you know, most employees are very nice people, but at the end of the day, it just makes it a little less awkward for everyone involved. So therefore, that means that you'd probably go in the evening. So bring a good flashlight is pretty handy. Uh, the other useful thing I find is to bring, you know, a Swiss knife or pocket knife, because that can, that can just make things a little quicker when you're operating at the dumpster. Because for example, any urban harvester uh, followers knows that citrus fruits like lemons, limes, or oranges are one of my most common finds. And that's because food producers package all these citrus fruits, fruits in mesh nets. But the thing is, is that, you know, with nature, nature isn't robotic or mechanical yet. And so these things go off at different times. So what I find generally, say in a six pack of lemons, is that one lemon's gone off. And the, the five remaining lemons are absolutely perfect. So it's worth having, you know, a swift knife in your back pocket to rip open that mesh net, mesh net and chuck out the, the bad lemon. And then you've got five great lemons. But to be honest, apart from that, you don't need anything else. A pair of gloves will be quite handy. Uh, but you just need, you know, a bit of, bit of character, be tenacious. And it's, it's worth 
having that uh, stamina because, you know, you might go one, maybe two nights without finding anything in your local supermarket dumpster. But there you go. On the third night, you might come across 20 kilos of bananas. Uh, and the other advice I would say to all potential dumpster divers, anyway, meat's a big issue in the environmental world. But, you know, whether you eat meat or not is, is a personal matter. But I don't recommend eating meat out of the dumpster because you don't know how long it's been out of refrigeration. So, you know, I don't want people to get food poisoning or, you know, more serious illnesses. So meat is is a very, um, yeah, it, it's something to worth bearing in mind. Same goes for fish and shellfish. You don't know how long these products have been out the refrigerator. So unless, like, the employee is coming out and giving you, you know, some fish straight out of the freezer, I'd be very careful. You know, fruit and vegetables, there's plenty of them, and, you know, more processed products like peanut butter and chips and things like that. But, yeah, when it comes to meat and fish, I'd be a bit wary. Now, I want to go into this more. So let's play pretend that you're going with somebody else on their very first night of dumpster diving. What advice would you have for them? What would be the steps that you would be advising them on? So I think the best advice I can give is to become familiar with your local supermarkets. You know, check out their opening times. What time do they open? What time do they close? I mean, you don't want to become... a stalker or anything, but it's worth, you know, being a bit of undercover undercover journalist, you know, just be a bit nosy, see what's going on. And once you've identified, you know, that one store where you might think, God, you know what, there might be a lot of food waste here. I'm going to check it out. Um, You know, do your research, Uh, but it doesn't have to be too much, you know, just give it a go. Call Call your best mate up and say, you know, let's give dumpster diving a go. I, I want to see for it. You, um, and just, you know, go out for that first time. Once you've done it once, it will become so much easier. And if that one store fails after a few nights, well then pick an- another company. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I would say. Just, just get started because you can save hundreds of dollars. And the thing is what, from what I can see in, in us accounts, uh, when it comes to dumpster diving is that it isn't super, only supermarkets that are, are wasting a lot of resources. It's all sorts of stores. I'm talking, you know, gaming, uh, home Home Depot places. Like, I mean, I've seen people come back with barbecues. It's, it's crazy what's going to waste. I mean, this is why I do the project I do. You have to see it to believe it. Um, and and that's, that's the thing I would recommend to people. Just go out there and give it a go. So let's talk about all this waste. What can we do to influence these grocery store chains, or as you just mentioned, all these other different types of retail stores that are wasting their products? What can we do to influence them to not waste so much? Do you think that it's best accomplished by petitioning, shaming, boycotting, legislation? What are your thoughts? Okay, well, that, that's a big topic. Um, where, what I would start off with is that I think, as cheesy as this sounds, I think it's extremely important for people to remember that they're citizens first and consumers second. And what I mean by that is that it's important to fight back against institutions that want to blame all environmental catastrophes on the consumer. You cannot put the whole blame on consumers. You know, supermarkets have to look at themselves and their pricing and the way they order uh, all their foods. And something needs to change. 
And, you know, I've not announced this on, on an urban harvest yet, but, you know, I'll reveal it here. The thing is, is that you've got an institution in, in the United Kingdom called RAP uh, that specializes in food waste and food loss. Now, again, they do a lot of good work. But, you know, the world is driven by how we give things definitions. And when it comes to food waste, it's a big problem, as we've established. And, you know, they've identified 10 possible destinations for retail food waste. But the, they have decided that for two destinations, uh, if, food, if food waste goes to animal feed or goes on to produce biogas, or, you know, if basically those resources are used uh, further down the line to create energy of a kind, then that food waste, which is food waste, as we've seen, you know, all this food I'm eating and living from, that food waste doesn't come under the definition of food waste. And this is the great issue we face as I see it. Definitions are giving massive bias towards companies and their practices. And that, I think, you know, is what I'm going to focus on in the coming months. You know, definitions that are wrecking havoc, and it means that people who want to establish good public policy, well, that data, because of, you know, basically, let's, very, let's say it, a stupid definition, the, the food waste data is not coming up, and therefore public policy cannot, you cannot rectify that. Let me give an example. So, for example, in Europe, we produce a lot of meat, chicken, pork. The problem is that we don't have enough land to produce all the feed that those animals require. So what's happened? Latin America, Brazil, Argentina, produce millions and millions of tons of soya beans, which we import, as well as China, to then feed the animals. Uh, and the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of this meat is ending up in the dumpster. So we're importing crops from a different continent, feeding our pigs to then chuck out those products in the supermarket dumpster. That is where these definitions are not fit for purpose and they're not fit for the 21st century. And that's what needs to change, you know, you know, ASAP. The relationship between grocery stores and big food producers uh I imagine is, is, is quite a tight one. I'm definitely not an expert on this. And I imagine that this relationship will vary considerably depending on the country you're in. What I can say is that food labeling uh, is indeed an issue. Now, for example, and again, this varies between countries, which, which is what makes this very complex. But anyway, you've got best before dates, uh, use by dates, uh, anyway, all sorts of labels. And this creates a lot of confusion for consumers with their products at home, but also for supermarkets. Uh, now, the issue, of course, is that, you know, as a food producer, you make your product and, yeah, of course, you want your product to be popular with your, with your clients and your customers. So you put a best before. Uh, and the thing with that is that the food in itself may, might be actually completely edible and, you know, still tastes great. But, of course, companies want to be a bit precautious to make sure that that food isn't stale. So what I mean to say here is that it's a big topic, but basically food labeling is going to need big uh, reforms over the coming years. Because, you know, 
just from my experience, for example, hard cheese. I come across hard cheese like cheddar so often. Uh, and, you know, supermarkets have, have, have stuck to the law and the best before has been and gone. And, and, and it's right that it turns up in the dumpster. But the thing is, the cheese is fine and it's fine for weeks. Um, so the food labeling is an issue. I mean, I can't say too much about the relationship between grocery stores and big food manufacturers. But what I would say is that in the last few decades, the companies operating the food system have merged more and more over the years. And it means that certain companies have immense power over the food system. I mean, two in the USA, for example, are Cargill, you know, the world's largest privately owned company, and Archer Daniels Midland that operates out of Chicago. So, I mean, you know, those companies are doing some good things, you know, some bad things, but what what is clear is that they have huge power both over farmers and um, over over grocery stores. Um, so it's a difficult one. What I would say with consumers, and you know, again, this this is all, all to do with can you afford, uh, you know, because you know a lot of people are struggling out there. It's important to bear that in mind. You know, I think this. I can't remember how many people in the USA live below the policy line, but it's, it's more than people might think. And what I would say is that if you can afford to not shop at, you know, your Walmarts and your, your big, big supermarkets, you know, find your local, you know, community supported agriculture. Well, anyway, your CSAs, I think that's what, what the, the CSA stands for. You know, there's great small scale, medium scale farmers in the USA who are doing their best to produce good food for local um for the local consumption. And what I would urge people is, you know, go on the internet, do a bit of research, find those food producers because you'll make it, you'll be eating better quality foods and you'll be supporting local farmers. And, you know, that's a win-win all round, I'd say. Yes, I completely agree with supporting community agriculture and, you know, local food co-ops and all of that. If you're able to, if that's something that's in your financial budget, um, Besides that, and of course, I, I don't want to, and I'm not putting blame on consumers whatsoever, but I know that a lot of my audience are activists and advocates, and they really like to take individual action. And so what final advice do you have for individuals to be able to fight back in, in whatever type of way against these huge food giants, whether it's the grocery store chains like Walmart or it's the manufacturers what advice do you have for individual action? That's a good point. What I would say to all uh, all your listeners is that if you haven't read any of Michael Pollan's books yet, I highly recommend starting there. Michael Pollan has done so much research on the food system, particularly in the USA. Once you've read, you know, one, two or three of his books, books about the food system and cooking you have so much power in your hands uh so you know if once you start reading about the food system you can do so much um uh, so much and what i would say is that you know another big food activist in the usa who is very famous today uh and that's his, his name is sandor katz you know he's very famous these days for fermentation but one of his lesser known books and this i think goes at the heart of the problem uh, his lesser known books from 2003, he wrote a book called The Revolution Will Not Be Microwaved. And what I recommend all people who want to make a big difference uh, to make this world a better place, both socially 
and environmentally is to start cooking. And when I mean cooking, I mean cooking from scratch, you know, your onions, your garlic, your vegetables, you know, your meat, if you eat meat, your pasta, you know, start cooking from scratch because that will make a big difference to your health and the, the agricultural systems around you and maybe further afield. So cooking from scratch is probably one of the biggest acts any citizen living today in the Western world can do because, you know, somewhere, you know, I read in one of Michael Pollan's book, in the last 50 years, the average US citizen uh, cooks half the amount of time uh, their grandparents used to in the 1960s. Uh, and I think that's that's a big problem. And that actually goes at the very heart of the, the great issue of food and our relationship with food uh, today. And for my listeners real fast who are interested in learning more about how to take back control of your food, I would recommend listening to two of our past Hippie Haven podcast episodes, one of them with uh, permaculture expert Nikki Schotter. She grows 300 pounds of food in a 100 square foot uh, urban garden in her backyard to feed her family of eight every year. Um, that's a great play. That's a that's a great episode to listen to about small space gardening. Um, it's all organic organic permaculture, really great episode. And then as well, um, how to can and preserve your food with Marissa McClellan. That's another great episode. If you're growing all this food or say you're dumpster diving and you're collecting, you know, all this extra fruit that you can't possibly eat before it goes bad, canning and, and preserving it is another way to make use of it without going to waste. So that just about wraps up this episode. Matt, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Any final advice related to food waste or dumpster diving? No, I think that's about it. I mean, as I said, just go out there and check out your local supermarket dumpsters because you won't know what is out there. Uh, and you might well be surprised. Uh, and you will be saving yourself a lot of money over the month. So, um, yeah, just give it a go. And that's a wrap. I'll be back next week with Matt of An Urban Harvester again, talking about palm oil and if it's as bad as it's made out to be. If you find value in the Hippie Haven podcast, please share it with someone you know who'd be interested. You can leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast app you're using, and also consider buying me a virtual cup of coffee to keep me going. Each podcast episode takes around six hours to create, and episodes cost about $50 each out of my own pocket. These costs include file hosting, editing, transcription for people who need or prefer visual content, and my own time of researching, drafting, recording, proofing, and promoting. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash Cali, that's C-A-L-L-E-E, to support the work I'm doing with a $4 cup of coffee. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for spending this time with me, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.